hello and welcome to Mavs Explained, where every single day of the week we are breaking down a different question, event, news, or trend, or in today's case, and really in a lot of cases lately, there's been a lot of Mavs history going on. Uh, a lot of big games have been shown on Fox Sports Southwest from uh, from back in the glory days, back whenever green was the color, mm. back whenever the Stetson hat was the logo, uh, back whenever games were on KSAR 49 or a nondescript uh, local news channel that I, I'm not even sure what it was in 1988. Uh, but here today, joining me on this uh, on this trip down memory lane, a game, Mike, that you and I actually saw that I have memories from watching. It is Mike Frailer. Yes, um, I have memories of it too, and it's, I guess it's just a sign that, you know, we're getting older, like that I remember something so well that next year is like the 20th anniversary of, so, but yeah, that that was an awesome night, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, this is, uh, this is of course game five of the 2001 first round between the Mavs and the Utah Jazz. So it is kind of, I'm kind of mad that you said that it, it's about to be 20 <laughs> years is, since yeah. that series because that does make me feel super old, man. <laughs> there aren't many things 20 years ago that I actually remember, but I do remember this game. This was uh, Dallas going into Utah. Back in those days, of course, the first round was a five-game series. It was best of five. And so Utah won the first two games in Utah. Uh, game two, rather handily, they won by double digits. Things went back to Reunion Arena where Dallas won game three. It was a tight one. And then they just blew the doors off the Jazz in uh, in game four. They turned all those major scales into minor scales for, uh, for Utah fans. And then we went back to the Delta Center for game five. Do or die, win or go home for both teams, double elimination for all the marbles, all the Tostitos, uh, all the musical instruments up there in the mountains. And, of course, the Mavs, this was their first time in the playoffs uh, under the new kind of the big three era with Dirk, Nash, and Finley. Mm-hmm. They had come close the year before, but this was their first time in it. They had had a, a fantastic season. They won 50, uh, 53 games, I think, or 52 games. And Utah is on the tail end of their dynasty that spanned really most of the 1990s, uh, a couple years removed from going to the finals back-to-back seasons in 97 and 98. They'd been to the conference finals a handful of times as well. And so this is one of the most successful dynasties, very Spursian in their year-to-year excellence. And so Dallas was, despite their strong regular season, they were really an underdog in this series because Stockton and Malone and Jerry Sloan, this is a lot to overcome against a pretty young upstart team uh, featuring, you know, Michael Finley, who I think was the, he was kind of this, the elder statesman of the group at like 26, 27 years old, him and Jawan Howard, and then uh, young Dirk and Steve Nash. And so Mike... This was 20 years ago. We kind of set the table here a little bit, talking about the the, the key players involved. But can you give us, uh, for fans who are maybe young or who just need a, to refresh their memory, uh, what was kind of the, the state of things going into this game? Uh, what do you remember from earlier in that series and then also from early on in Game 5 before, uh, before things got a little weird? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, what I remember early from the series was the Mavs lost a very winnable game one. Um, I don't remember the exact, I know they only lost by two, but they were up by four with about a minute left. Um, And I remember uh, jazz forward Danny Manning hit a three to cut it to one. And then eventually Utah scored and took the lead. Um, And Finley missed like a a very difficult three at the buzzer that would have won the game. But to have a, a four-point lead with a minute left, um, you know, more – I feel like more often than not, that's a winnable game. Um, 
but the Mavs kind of they they lost that one. Like you said, the Jazz controlled Game Two pretty easily. Game Three um, at at Reunion Arena is actually probably like one of my all time favorite Mavs playoff games, only because like obviously everyone talks about the Calvin Booth game winner in in this series, but I feel like a, a forgotten Mavs moment, moment is Steve Nash's game winner in Game Three. He, he hit a fadeaway over John Stockton with like. 20 seconds left to give the Mavs the lead for good um and you know if they they lose that game that's the uh that's the end of reunion arena right there so it's pretty cool that there was a game winner to force one more game there um and then like you said game four the Mavs won by 30 that was pretty that was pretty awesome just you know uh complete just they did completely destroy the Jazz in that game and then heading into into game five um you know I I was I was pretty excited that obviously that they won those two games in in Dallas, but I'd be lying if I said I expected them to to win um, that game. I think I was the most like early in the game. The Mavs were pretty competitive like early on, but eventually, in my mind, it felt like reality was starting to set in, and the Jazz just took control. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I know I think they led by. 14 at halftime if i'm yeah yeah yeah, they got up well they they got up actually to 15 yeah uh right before the half yeah 15 it was kind of weird i mean i i was i was pretty excited whenever this game started because you know this is my first time going back and re-watching this game and so i'm thinking early thousands mavs they're gonna be you know guns blazing flying all over the floor but utah just really dominated the tempo they really controlled the pace of this game and and I feel like the Mavs are maybe a little skittish. Like you said, game one was a winnable game. And game two, you know, they really weren't, um, you know, they didn't really have a chance. And so uh, you have this young team going on the road in a crazy building. The, the Delta Center in Utah mm-hmm. is just insane. Now it's Vivint Smart Home Arena. But it, it's the same arena. They renovated it, of course. But those seats are right on top of the floor. The fans are loud. It's uh, it's pretty intimidating. And so, you know, the Mavs were kind of like skittish almost in the first half. They were, they were you know, getting uh, getting a lot of bad shots outside of Jawan Howard, who was really uh, kind of rock steady in the first half. No one else could really get it going at all. And, and Utah just went up double digits for most of the second and third and even the fourth quarter a little bit. Yeah, they did. Um, like you said, Jawan kind of kept them within striking distance. Um, I know towards the end of the first half, uh, the Jazz went on a run. And it's just, it's weird the things you remember. So Sean Bradley made a basket um, kind of as the Mavs were just like falling apart. It's the only basket he made in the game. But I remember when that happened, when he made that basket, just kind of like an up and under move um, in the lane. And uh, I think it was maybe Bob Ortigal said something like, oh, they needed that right there. And like, it was just a way to like, stop the bleeding but it's funny I remember that you know 19 years ago and it was kind of funny watching that basket again tonight because I, I kind of remember thinking that that was like a you know kind of just keep them within striking distance or at least kind of slow things down a little bit so um, just a random little observation that I remembered and, and noticed again tonight um, but yeah they're in addition to Howard um, you know he was really the only thing they had going in the in the first half, but luckily uh, Michael Finley was incredible in the third quarter when um, they cut a 15 point lead down to eight, I believe. But then, you know, a veteran jazz team started to just take control again and got it, uh, their lead back up to, to 14 by the end of the quarter. Yeah. And what was, what I had just totally 
forgotten was that Utah had to call a 20-second timeout after the first possession of the game because Carl Malone was, I don't know if it was back spasms or something. He he left the game for a few minutes, and, um, you know, there was kind of like some doubt as to whether or not he'd even finish the game. But as soon as he went out, like Olden Polonese of all people <laughs> just caught fire and was just got Utah off to a great start. And they had a bunch of other veterans too. Like you mentioned Danny Manning who would go on to play for the Mavs, mm-hmm. if not – already did i can't remember when he played with the very Dallas, next but it was season, right around he was that on time. the mavs yeah next season yeah. that's right and um they had deshaun stevenson yes how about that <laughs> did not play in this game um but then they had john starks coming off the bench which i totally i just did not even know <laughs> that he played for them um and then they had greg ostertag and this was the the biggest shock to me of of all was that greg ostertag was wearing number 39 and now i have a question for you i did a little bit of research on this uh, obviously, he's known for being double zero, one of the most iconic double zeros mm-hmm. ever, in my opinion. Um, but that season, he switched from double zero to thirty nine so that Olden Polonese could wear zero. But I thought that you could have a zero and a double zero. But is that is that a rule? You can't have both. I mean, why did why did my guy Greg Ostertag change his number? I I don't know. Um, I I knew that that was like. I knew there was one year that Ostertag wore 39, um, but I didn't. I never really knew the reasoning behind why he switched, and I didn't know you could have both. Um, but did you know that Don Nelson never wanted anybody to wear double zero as a Mav? Why is that? I don't know why, but when I guess he thought it was like bad luck or something. But you bringing this up reminded me of an episode of my podcast that I did with Tony Delk who came to the Mavs a couple of years later, who always wore number double zero in his career. But when he came to the Mavs, he wore seven. And he just said, um, Al Whitley told him that Don Nelson said he can't have it. Like you can't do double zero here. So that's just something weird that happened that I still don't really know the specifics. And I don't think Tony ever really found out either. Man, no one ever <laughs> thinks of Nelly as a buzzkill, yeah. but that's kind of a buzzkill move. Yeah, yeah, so... Let the guy – he scored 50 points in a game. Let him <laughs> wear whatever number he wants. Yeah so, um, yeah, so so Dallas had a really thin rotation. Nelly always, you know, played guys a ton of minutes. But in this game in particular, you know, it's a do or die. So you're, you're going to ride with your guys. Dirk played 36 minutes, and he was in foul trouble in uh, yes. in the first half. And so he sat out the, the final, like, six or seven minutes or something in the first half. Otherwise, he would have been in the 40s. But otherwise, yeah, Steve Nash played 42 minutes. Jawan Howard played 45 minutes. Michael Finley played all 48 <laughs> minutes, which is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome. For Utah, uh, Byron Russell played 45 minutes. Stockton played 40. Malone played 37. And these guys, again, they're on the tail end. Mm-hmm. You know, Stockton retired, I think, two years later. Malone was out three years later. And so this was kind of the end of the Jazz, but they were still – going deep into the game despite you know injuries and stuff and Stockton looked pretty exhausted a couple times and even Nash did too I mean this this was like a a knockdown drag out kind of series but what was really interesting to me and I guess this is kind of setting the stage for for why this game is so iconic is Dallas you know despite having a thin rotation as it is you know they had Vernon Maxwell and Wang Juju, Eddie Nahara, Mark Bryant, they had Greg Buckner mm-hmm. um, Howard Isley a former uh, former Jasmine himself yep. Uh, then they had Calvin Booth coming off the bench, and for the first three quarters, they got nothing from their bench, literally zero bench points, nothing at all. And, um, you know, they, they just needed something, you know. And uh, Calvin Booth comes into the game 
late in the third quarter. He played the final minute 56 of the quarter, and things just kind of started clicking for Dallas. And so Nelly rode the hot hand. He never brought in uh, Sean Bradley back in. Dallas started Jawan Howard, Dirk, and Sean Bradley together in the front court, which is wacky, but uh, it worked. They won 50-plus games, but Booth came in and just made an impact. And in the fourth quarter alone, uh, he had three points. He had five rebounds. He had two blocks. He had a steal. And uh, he, we'll we'll get to we'll get to his biggest moment a little later on. But Dallas just kind of rather quickly started chipping away at this lead. They trailed by 14 points at the start of the fourth quarter, and by the time we got like to the halfway mark, it was basically a tie game. Yeah, they came back really quick. Um, like you said, it was 14. I know Dirk made a basket in the lane, and you could hear him shout "and one" on the broadcast, but they didn't call it. I thought. Uh, but that was kind of funny. Um, and then Nash made a three, one hit one of the three threes he hit in the fourth. Finley made a deep three. I think Nash hit another one. And then all of a sudden it was like down to six within, like you said, just, you know, a sequence of possessions. And they, they really got back into the, the game pretty quick. And But it seemed like every time that the Mavs like made a big run, like the Jazz would – have uh, just kind of like a momentum killing basket. I know Malone had a couple of putbacks. I think Russell made a jumper at the top of the key in the fourth quarter. So um, even though the Mavs were getting right back in it, the Jazz were, were kind of holding them at bay. And But a lot of the baskets that the Mavs got were due to um, Calvin Booth's activity on the offensive glass. Um, he was really just either in the right place at the right time or was just going after the ball. And like you said, um, he was really impactful in that, in that stretch. And I, um, yeah, obviously Don Nelson made the right choice in keeping him in there. Yeah, for sure. Dallas had five offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter alone. And one other interesting note uh, before we get to the grand finale is Dirk in this game, it was a one point game. 84, 83 was your final score. Dirk was plus 16. Yes. So, uh, that is just that is that is beautiful stuff. Yeah, he uh, had the highest German. plus minus of anyone on the team. Yeah, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. So uh, it, it comes down into crunch time. It's the final four or five minutes. Uh, Steve Nash, who up to that point in the game had really done almost nothing. Uh, he had a couple threes in about a two minute stretch to bring Dallas to within one and then to tie the game. And uh, then it was kind of back and forth for a while. And by back and forth, I mean both teams are missing. I mean, Utah Utah scored 12 points as a team in the fourth quarter. They really could not get it going. Um, Malone was missing a lot of shots, and they were just coming up empty on possessions. They had some turnovers, too. Uh, they just couldn't really get it going. And so Dallas finally uh, was able to tie this up. And then it comes down to, you know, the moment of truth. And, uh, you know, in, in playoff games, you expect it to be like Stockton Malone two-man game. But for Dallas, it's like, okay, who's going to step forward and take these big shots? Is it going to be Finley? Is it going to be Dirk? Is it going to be Nash? You know, who wants the ball? Well, they kept turning the ball over. Nash made a couple mistakes. Finley made an errant pass at 1.2. But um, Finley hit a jump shot to bring it to within 82-81 with two and a half yes, minutes left. Yes, that shot and, was uh, awesome. Uh, the shot yeah, clock was that, like that, that was to beat the shot clock buzzer, Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, Daniel Marshall hit a free throw, then Jawan Howard hit a free throw, and so it's 83-82, and then both teams go empty a couple times. Uh, Finley missed a three, Malone had a turnover, uh, and then he missed a shot. And then uh, Dirk gets the rebound on a missed Malone shot with 30 seconds left. Dallas brings it up the floor, and they give it to Finley and say, all right, let's, let's do something. And back in those days, 
uh, you could not play zone defense. The league had not changed the rules yet. And so uh, if, if you wanted to send more pressure to a player, you had to do it like a hard double team. You couldn't shade guys over too far. And so you had to really sell out if you wanted to give pressure. So Utah being ahead and Finley being, you know, really the only guy at this point who was like a go-to player in crunch time kind of put the ball on the floor a little bit and Utah started sending guys to him. And again, you couldn't shade. So like you had to go all the way. And so as soon as Calvin Booth, who was, he was kind of under the basket, as soon as his man took a step toward Finley, Booth just kind of dove toward the basket and Finley found him and for like a wide open layup, like with nine seconds left in the game. It's a just a bizarre play to watch. I mean, in my memory, I remember it being like this incredible like putback or just like this real physical play or something. But it was really just like a, he just dumped it off to him. It was wide open it was, to decide the game. It was it was it was very weird. Yeah, it was. Um, one cool thing about the broadcast tonight is they had those uh, in the breaks and play. They had like the picture in picture little uh, snippets of like guys like Dirk talking, but they also had Calvin Booth a couple times and he was saying like he was expecting Finley to shoot. And so he was just trying to get in position to maybe get a rebound. And all of a sudden Finley threw the ball to him and he laid it right in. Um, but one thing I did notice is uh, he was open, but you know, Carl Malone tried that like trademark, just like slap the ball out of his hands. And he came really close to getting it out of Booth's hands. Like I didn't remember it being that close, but if you watch it, he swipes the ball, his hand down, and nearly knocks it out of his hands, but just, you know, was maybe like a half second too late. But he was uh, pretty close to getting it out of there. So, but, uh, yeah, Booth was, for the most part, pretty open, and uh, this is his only basket of the game, but uh, it was one of the biggest baskets in Mavs history, and it's uh, what he's known for. I think probably the most famous moment of his NBA career. Yeah, for sure, and it was the first field goal made by a Mavs reserve in that yeah. game, which is also just very, it's amazing. And then on the ensuing possession, um, Byron Russell missed a three. John Stockton, of all people, comes down with the rebound and then kind of kicks it out to Carl Malone at the top of the key, who is pretty wide open uh, from 18, 20 feet, and he hoists a jump shot. And I remember watching this game, and I was I was like 9 or 10 years old when this game happened. And so time seemed to move slowly just in general. But it felt like that ball was in the air for an hour. And then it finally comes down and clangs off the rim. And Dallas wins the game. And uh, you see Dirk just take off running down the floor. He untucks his jersey, puts his finger in the air. Uh, then he jumps on Nash's back. And Finley just can't believe it. And like you, you can just see this tidal wave of emotion, you know, Dirk and Nash really hadn't been in Dallas for too long. This is only their, I think their third season there. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they kind of knew the history of the organization a little bit, but dude, Finley was here in the mid nineties, whenever things were terrible and he was on some 20 win teams and, you know, he was the guy. And then they bring these young guys in that are going to eventually kind of take, take over as the franchise players. And, and you could just see him be like, you know, this was the, this was the, the, peak of his career to this point winning this playoff series and you could see how just excited and how proud he was in that moment and you know Donnie and Nelly are loving it too I mean it was just it was so cool Cuban of course was going nuts I mean it was it was just uh I, it was just it's so cool to go back and you know kind of re-experience that all over again because in our minds now you know we we remember 20 years of playoff success basically you know going to the playoffs and where winning a series is like all right no big deal um, but in that moment, I mean, that was the first one, you know, that, that was the first one. And, and it's so special to, to go back and kind of relive that moment. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, and 
you know, I think probably, obviously, after 2011 and 2006, this may have been like the most excited I got as a as a Mavs fan um, because it was the first one. It was probably it was pretty unexpected. I don't think. I, I mean, I, I don't know the specifics, but I'd have to go back and look. But I don't think many young teams win their first series the first time they're in the playoffs. Um, they usually have to lose it, lose in the first round one or two years, it seems like, before they can kind of build some experience and, and figure out how to win. But, you know, the Mavs did it on their first try against a team, like you said, that dominated the West in most of the previous decade and was still pretty good. You know, they were on the tail end of their run, but they were still – the favorites in this series. So it was, it was really exciting and uh, watching it tonight, especially the, the K star 49 broadcast, which I hadn't seen probably since 2001 was, uh, was really special. And uh, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It was so cool. Uh, Okay. So now for some, uh, some personal anecdotes, Uh, you and I were around, this game was played. And so we have pretty vivid memories Mm -hmm. of watching it. Um, I'll go first. I was at home uh, my mom was actually at the game, so uh, my mom was working for the Mavs back then, and uh, Cuban flew the entire staff out to to Utah for that game. And uh, so, you know, if if you were watching the broadcast and you heard some roars anytime the Mavs made a bucket, it was actually the Mavs staff. They just bought and, – and Cuban also said, if you live in Dallas and you come out to Utah for this game, I will buy you a ticket myself, which is just <laughs> the ultimate flex. Yeah. And uh, so I'm not sure how many people took him up on that, but there was a, a, a not – a, a not insignificant number of Mavs fans in the building. Um, and so, uh, so that was pretty cool. So I was at home with my dad and my sister watching that game. And, uh, you know, it was on in the living room mm-hmm. and then Utah got up by double digits. And that same night, I want to say was like the, the penultimate episode of survivor Australian Outback. <laughs> and I was really into that show and uh, so whenever the Mavs got down double digits, I actually stopped watching the Mavs game so I could watch Survivor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my dad was like, you're not my son. You know, he's so disappointed <laughs> in me. But uh, he and my sister stayed watching the game. And I, th- I think it was like the beginning of the fourth quarter that I made the switch. And then like, you know, five minutes later, I hear them, you know, clapping and jumping up and down and yelling and stuff. And so I run in the other room and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, they're back in the game. And so. We turned it back on, uh, like I, I, you know, flipped it back on and we watched it uh, together. And, uh, you know, I was nine years old. And so whenever Malone missed that jump shot and the Mavs won, I don't know if like my dad picked me up or if he just like threw me up in the air or something. But I remember like my head hit the ceiling of our living room uh, because I, I, I was I got so much air. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's like child abuse or what, but. I was okay, but uh, that was, uh, it was it was a pretty it was, it was, we we definitely erupted in celebration whenever whenever uh, that game was over. What what were you doing whenever that whole thing went down? Where were you? Like you, I was just at home, um, watch watching the game in our in our living room, and um, it's funny. I remember you know towards the um, beginning of the fourth quarter. I think the Jazz scored a couple baskets early before the Mavs kind of started to make their run, and I was about ready to turn it off. I remember thinking, all right, I'm probably just going to, like, take a shower and go to bed or something. But then I was like, no, I was like, if there's just enough time for something crazy to happen. Um, and so I decided to stick it out, and I'm so glad I did. But I, I very vividly remember think, like just being essentially ready to give up and thinking it was over. Um, 
but that's just something I'll, I'll never forget. And then there was a, a guy in my, I was in eighth grade at the time. And there was a guy in my class um, who was a jazz fan. He just, he loved Carl Malone um, and, uh, and just the entire team. And so, uh, and he and I, we were on our, our school basketball team together and we were friends. And so as soon as the game ended, I called him and he just, he just couldn't believe it. Like he was so sad that that had <laughs> happened. And cause uh, you know, he, when they went up 2-0, you know, he was, uh, he was just giving my friends and me a hard time about it. But uh, I, I, I remember looking, it's funny. I remember looking his, cause you know, no one had cell phones. I called like his house phone and looked it up in like the school directory to call him about the game. I remember doing that. Just so you so, could flex. Um, but yeah, that's just uh, what I remember about about that night and it was it was so much fun and then I also remember waking up the next morning and thinking oh wow like the Spurs series starts tomorrow like it was a really quick turnaround between the end of the Jazz series and the beginning of the Spurs one so I remember thinking that that was a uh, like I couldn't it just seemed crazy after this like emotional roller coaster they had a new series starting in like 36 hours yeah and the Spurs beat them down pretty good that yeah. year but uh <laughs> I, I mean, that was I think that was going to happen no matter what. Oh, yeah. but that quick turnaround definitely didn't help because that Utah series was such a such a grind. Yeah, you know, to have to start immediately is like it's brutal, especially when both games are on the road, right? Like you come home from Utah, uh, they might have gone directly to San Antonio actually, but uh, I remember we uh, we actually drove down to Utah or to San Antonio to watch Game One, and that one didn't go too well, so uh, that was probably a mistake. But <laughs> um, but. Uh, but yeah, one one other thing that I kind of took from this game is I don't know when broadcasts uh, kind of collectively decided to display the score bug for the entire game, but whoever made that decision, I just want to give the biggest hug in the world <laughs> yeah. to that person because for all these 80s games that, that, that we've been showing and then also for this game even too, you never know what the score is or how much time is left or anything. And, and you know, I, I, I could see why maybe you don't need to show it all the time, but certainly, like, at least half the time. I mean, there were, like, many, many, many baskets where afterward they wouldn't show the score or the cl- the game clock. And I'm like, what is yeah. going on? <laughs> you, know, you know, like, it's we've become conditioned to really rely on that. But also, I mean, it shows valuable information like the shot clock. It shows game stats and things like that. I mean, it's just, like, it's such a – such a given but I mean especially in the 80s dude like you'd see the score like three or four times per quarter you would just you would never know what the score was I don't know how fans did it <laughs> that's that's funny yeah I as I was watching it tonight I I kept wondering like where the score was <laughs> so and but uh, uh even though like I knew the outcome of the game but I still wanted to know what the score was and how much time was left um but yeah so you're I, on your own I wonder when that there's no way when that know. became a thing like when it was just basically always there probably like it had to be early 2000s like yeah yeah, i don't remember watching many games where i didn't know what the score was so i feel like that was a a pretty pretty immediate innovation but again whoever that was man props to you (laughs) i I hope that you got the biggest pay raise ever because that was really a game changer um so then of course after the mavs win game five like uh like mike said they would turn around pretty quickly and play the spurs they would lose to san antonio in five games uh before moving into american airlines center the next season and then that was really the beginning of of a a a beautiful decade of basketball dallas would go to the playoffs every single season from 
2001 through the 2011-12 season. Uh, they would miss one time, and then they would go three more times before finally, um, you know, succumbing to so, to Father Time and all that good stuff. And then now, you know, they'll be back here pretty soon. In about a month or so, they'll they'll be playing regular season games leading into what will be the team's first postseason appearance since 2016. So it'll be good times ahead. Um, but yeah, that was a special moment in history. Just kind of the 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 new beginning, and uh, there there's a lot of kind of poetic kind of circular sort of uh symmetry to it because we're about to experience the same exact thing hopefully a series win but either way the first trip back with luca and kp and all these guys here soon yeah that that'll be uh that'll be pretty exciting i'm really interested to see how this whole bubble situation is gonna unfold but um you know if as long as everyone is is safe and everything it'll be fun to see mavs basketball again um one quick thing you said that uh, you know, the next season after this 2001 playoff run, they moved into the American Airlines Center. Um, the very first game I ever went to at American Airlines Center was in November of 2001 against Seattle, whose center was Calvin Booth. And he scored 24 points that night. Uh, he went 6 to 10 from the field, 12, 12, 12 for 12 from the foul line. And the Sonics beat the Mavs at American Airlines Center. So it was, it was kind of, I remember I was 14 at the time, so maybe 15. So uh, just seeing him go from a Mavs hero to this new team in a in a new setting and everything, and I remember him getting booed at the arena that night. So that's just something I wanted to throw in there. He deserved yeah. it for <laughs> raining on the team's parade. Yeah, that is probably non-dirt category. That's probably like a top five shot in Mavs history. Booth's game winner. I mean, Derek Harper had a, a buzzer beater to win a, a playoff game one time, and. You know, there have been some some big shots, but that Calvin Booth shot is iconic, man. I mean, he deserves – he almost deserves to have his jersey retired just for that one play. <laughs> and Michael Finley, too, man. Props to him for making the right play and passing it to the open guy, too. That's a very underrated thing. Crunch time, you want to take the shot if you're the guy. And and Finn had a great game. He had 33 points. Oh, yeah. he. But, uh, oh, man. Finley is, was amazing that night. So many long jump yeah. shots, huge threes. He had that huge one with the shot clock going down, which I think ended up being a long two. At the time, I thought it was a three, I remember. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – he, he was awesome that night. Um, he was an all-star that year. So, yeah, he was still, the, like, the Mavs' main go-to guy at that time. Yeah, and to, to make the unselfish winning play is just really cool. So, uh, all around, great game. And it was fun looking back on it. Mike, thank you for joining me today. And uh, let's do it again soon, man. Yeah, of course. If you enjoyed, If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and subscribe. Maybe uh, leave a kind review, share it with your friends, share it with maybe you watch this game with your parents like we did. Maybe uh, maybe they want to take a trip down memory lane, let them know. Um, what was the first game you went to at American Airlines Center? Mike's was spoiled by Calvin Booth. <laughs> uh, did anybody spoil yours or was it a Mavs win? Let us know. He has forgotten Mavs on Twitter and Instagram. I am Bobby Corella in those same places, although I don't recommend you follow me on Instagram. I don't actually use it all that much, but I do use Twitter way too much, so give me a follow there. Uh, and Mike also has a, a new episode of Forgotten Maps coming out soon. There's been there's been a few during the pandemic already, or during the hiatus or whatever already, but uh, he has a, a new one coming out soon with a former Mav. It's going to be very exciting. So, Mike, if, if you want to tease it, cool. Otherwise, you can uh, you can leave it as a surprise. I guess it's up to you. No, I'll absolutely tease it. Um, I th- we're 
we were going to record this week. Um, I got news today that it's actually going to be next week, but I'm still really excited about it. I'm going to be doing an episode with Brandon Wright. Um, yes. Yeah. Who uh, um, I have, he's probably my favorite Mav center of all time. Not the greatest, but I think he's my favorite. So I'm really excited to talk to him. Dude, he was so awesome. Yeah. And, and it's very fitting that this news breaks during the Calvin Booth episode. Those are probably the two best left-handed centers <laughs> in Mavs history. I think uh, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I, I feel safe making that claim. Well, Reefla friends, man, ah, yeah. well, that, that could be its whole, uh, its whole own episode. But uh, all right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you all for listening. Like I said, feel free to leave a like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever, whatever, whatever. Do all that great stuff. It is Mavs Blaine, and we will be back with you tomorrow. See you.